Hey, this is the one-man goldmine, the one-man enterprise of professional wrestling and all entertainment, Flynn Hendricks. And you better believe when I'm looking for a good podcast to listen to, I go to my own. I go to the I Know You Hear Me podcast hosted by me, Flynn Hendricks. That is such a fresh perspective for how you should look at life, too. Like, I just, I love that. And then when I'm feeling spooky, I go to my other podcast, Tales from the Haunt, where myself, yeah. I want my head shoved inside a 15-pound silicone mask more. You know, <laughs> I want to have a bucket of sweat coming off me at the end of the night. And just Jeff. Dogs don't like eggs, <laughs> I hate you so much. Talk to other scare actors about what it takes to get into the world of scare acting. So if you're curious about how people became professional wrestlers, actors, prioritized their mental health, became entrepreneurs, avoided burnout, or got into scare acting, you need to go check out I Know You Hear Me and Tales from the Haunt, available on all podcasting platforms. And I know you hear me. Tracy Smothers, Harley Race, Tim Storm, Bushwhacker Luke, Bobby Fool. The Pro, Pro Wrestling, Wrestling Vault, Vault Volume one. 1. Bill Dundee, Super Mix Hernandez, C.W. Anderson, Ricky Morton, Sir Moe, and many others share their stories of determination, triumph, and, and sorrow. sorrow. Get your book today at Russellville.com or at Amazon.com. Russellville, Wrestling All right, everybody, and welcome to the PWZ podcast. Today I have here with me the Arab legend, Al Farat. How are you today, sir? Man, I'm doing absolutely great. I appreciate you having me on the show. I haven't done one of these in a while, but uh, I always look forward to it because I get to uh, give what we get to give the fans kind of like a behind-the-scenes sneak peek of our personal lives, you know? Yeah, I'm very excited because, you know, there's uh, links to my youth and some of the questions I'm going to have here for you and, and me growing up uh, as a fan uh, and such. So, but before we get into any of that stuff, I want to say uh, in your youth and such, when did you discover professional wrestling and what made you want to get into the business of professional wrestling? You know, uh, around 1973 is kind of when I remember uh watching wrestling for the first time my grandfather used to come to the house my father's father he was a huge wrestling fan from around 73 to about i don't know 78 or so i i remember he would always come to visit and when he would come to visit although he didn't live there we had to uh abandon the uh the uh, living room because he would watch wrestling and it got to the point to where uh he would make it a tradition i mean we would watch wrestling from the philadelphia spectrum it would come out on a of course i don't remember the channel right now but it was God, that was a long time ago 78 i guess prism it was prism i remember it was prism right. tv and anyway so we would always watch it and i was so intrigued and and amazed because you know it, it was good guy versus bad guy you know old school storytelling but what 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 I was attracted to the most was were the characters. You know, I remember Baron Von Raschka and Baron Mikhail Sakluna and George the Animal Steel. And I was I seemed to always be attracted to those monster like, you know, uh, animalistic like characters, the crazy types, you know, that would hide the foreign objects and stuff like that. But, yeah, that's kind of when I remember uh, beginning to like professional wrestling when I lived in New York City and New Jersey, that, that area. 
and my grandfather grandfather would watch it. So what uh, is that what influenced you basically to get into it that uh, when you grew up a little bit? Well, uh, yes and no. I, I, I always, you know, wondered what it would be like to be in the ring. But back then it wasn't like now where you have schools, professional wrestling schools all over the place, you know. So <clears throat> I would, of course, you know, put mattresses up in the backyard with my friends and 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 we would <laughs> we, we would wear these crazy outfits. And and I remember as a young child wearing a towel on my head, an actual towel. And being some kind of chic, you know, because, man, he was my favorite. The original chic, Eddie Farhat, was my absolute, my absolute favorite. And I'll get to that story because there's a connection to what I do now and the chic. Anyway, so fast forward years later, I was about 13 years old. And my dad, uh, well, okay, so we find these four posts in somebody's yard. And even at 13, I had... I had the the uh, the no the knowledge enough to know that it was four posts for a ring. I didn't know if it was a boxing ring or wrestling ring. Anyway, so the guy says, "Well, get them out of my yard if you want them." So I got them, and I would collect cans. I would wash cars. I would, you know, do the neighbors' yards to gather enough money because you know we we were poor. We weren't rich, and my dad, of course, helped me and helped me build my first little ring. I was 13, 14 years old, and what I remember it was a twelve footer. We made it a twelve footer. And I do little shows, you know, in, in my yard for the, excuse me, for the neighborhood kids. We, we didn't know what we were doing. But again, I, I even at that age, man, I, I could sort of kind of put a show together and, 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 and put a match together. So keep in mind the whole time my mother knew about this affinity that I had for professional wrestling. She never said anything. My mother and father divorced. He still didn't say anything <laughs> when I was about 16 years old. My mother comes up to me and we're talking about something related to wrestling, I'm sure. And she said, yeah, my my cousin. Yeah, he, he, he does that, you know, and blah, 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 blah. And of course, she caught my attention. I said, your your cousin related to her. And she said, yeah, yeah. Um, Robert, Robert does that. I said, Robert Cortez, Uncle Robert Cortez. Is, yeah, of course, I knew him as Rob, Robert, you know, Bobby. We didn't know him. Right. Turns out he was. Robert Cortez is Bobby Bold Eagle from New York City. That's that's right. that's he's related to me. We're related. So Bobby Cortez at that point had a school and he was it was. A, well, it used to be at the St. Mary's Park in in uh, I forget the name, 183rd and something in the Bronx. But he moved his school to the same building as Johnny Rod's school on Front Street. It was Gleason's gym, except they had it on different days. So. Long story short, um, my uncle uh, started training me, kind of, uh, you know, taught me the ropes and whatever. I, keep in mind, I was 16 years old and I was su such a fan, such a rabid fan of professional wrestling that even though they hated it, well, I, I'm not going to say they hated each other because I, I, that's that's probably a strong word, but they weren't they weren't friends. And and he didn't like the fact that I was thinking about approaching Johnny Rods because who didn't know Johnny Rods, you know, back here, right. the unpredictable one. So I approached Johnny Rods and I started training five days a week. Literally, I would go Mondays, Wednesdays and Thursdays for Johnny. And then Tuesdays and uh, let's see, Monday, Wednesdays and Fridays, and then Tuesdays and Thursdays, something like that. So I started training with both of them and I got 
real chummy with with Johnny Rosin. He put me on some of his first shows with Chief Thunder Mountain and 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 uh, Mondo Clean, who later on went to become Damien Demento. And I, I started with all these guys, you know. Yeah. Anyway, so after I found out that was my relative, that's kind of how I got involved in professional wrestling when I was 16, 17 years old. And I broke, uh, I had my first match with, uh, against Nikolai Volkov for, uh, I forget the name of the promoters. Oh, Manny Siaka. It was at the Ridgewood, Ridgewood arena in Ridgewood Queens, Ridgewood Queens. I wasn't even 18 yet. I was 17 and a half years old. And that, and that's when I first broke into professional wrestling. I'm 53. So been in it a quite a while. I'm trying to think of what time period that was um, with Nikolai Volkov. Because was he still with WWF or was he leased out at the time? Uh, yeah, he was leased the, out. He yep. he actually did shows with different promoters at the time, especially in the Northeast. There yeah. were there were several guys I remember were doing shows at that time that were with WWE. Well, then it was WWF. Right. Uh, I remember seeing Iron Mike Sharp on some shows, uh, Greg Valentine. I want to say even Snuka was already doing shows for different different promotions. Especially, I don't know if they went outside of the Northeast Coast, but I know in the Northeast Coast, several promotions were using them. I remember, um, <clears throat> excuse me, Tommy Jeanette's uh, Northeast Championship Wrestling all, would get all of those guys that you just mentioned. Uh, uh, and, you know, I think I remember seeing Valentine and Acts of Demolition headline a show at a fair here while they were both still employed with the WWF. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Tito Santana. Yep. And uh, yeah, I actually think I think I did one or two shows with Marty uh, back in the day. Of course, back then you kind of worked with everybody. Dino Santa from Pennsylvania. I think he had WWWA and then you had. Uh, Tito Torres was running back then in New Jersey. Um, Carluzzo, I want to say. Dennis Carluzzo. Dennis, yeah, famous. he was uh, involved with the NWA, Dennis Carluzzo. And then, uh, you know, I wouldn't say he was involved in the ECW, but when ECW was part of the NWA, they would uh, kind of promote shows together in a way. And that only lasted probably about a year or so. Is that where they the were uh, Northeast Championship Wrestling? I mean, not uh, Northeast, not, I'm sorry, Eastern Championship Wrestling. Yeah, I think that uh, that title tournament, that's when um, uh, that's when uh, Corluza would work with ECW. And then, you know, Shane Douglas threw down the belt and stuff, if you remember that angle. Yeah, oh yeah, sure do, yeah. Yeah, so I think that's when uh, ECW just uh, decided to change the name to Extreme from Eastern. That's crazy, yeah, yeah I remember that. Yeah. I remember their inaugural champion... Uh, I think their inaugural champion was Snuka, wasn't it? Correct. Yep. I just watched and, an interview uh, with uh, Todd Gordon, an older interview with Todd Gordon recently. So, uh, yeah, so that was true. The, um, you know, the Snuka was the world champion at first. Yeah. I remember, I remember I did one show for those guys and uh, Salvatore Belomo was on the show. Yep. <laughs> he was yep. working for them at the Wild Man, Wild Man Belomo. Yes, yes, he was at at that time period. They had a lot of like their earliest days were completely different. Uh, if you remember, you know, we're going to talk about the Savoldis at some point today. But um, you know, Tony Rumble was in there, and then there was like a lot of guys that were kind of coming from Rumble or excuse me, the Savoldis and over. It was kind of like the whole East Coast feel, yeah, you know, that whole Northeast feel until, of course, the, the Savoldis uh, started to wind down. 
so yeah, there was a lot of these those old timer uh, northeastern guys that were that were making their way over there. I remember yep. that. Yeah, I remember that very very well. Uh, when we came in with the Savoldis, um, there was kind of a a period where you started getting the new the new blood started coming in. That's when Dreamer and Taz and and a lot of those guys came in. But yeah, I remember I remember that that transition, if you will. I think Taz for them might have been the longest running original. Like uh, for them, and you know, northeastern guy uh, original. That guy was all over the place in the northeast. Oh yeah, yeah. He was the uh, when he first started. It was Ta- Tasmaniac. Yep. Yeah, and he I was he, actually he was. I think he was under a hood for you know uh, a little bit with Tony Rumble uh, for in uh, for the Savoldis. I think going back to before it was IWCCW when it was ICW, like mm-hmm. he was in there. So, all right. So, hang on, I got some other questions here. You worked with Scott Hall in Puerto Rico for WWC. Let me know about that one. That's kind of a pretty. Uh, what year was that, and where? Um, how was that? Uh, did you say Scott Hall? Scott Hall, yes. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. I uh, I went in two thousand and seven. Of course, I've been going to Puerto Rico since eighty seven. Okay. Eighty seven was the first time I ever went to uh, wrestled in Puerto Rico, but in two thousand and seven. I went to Puerto Rico. Um, I took one of my students because I had a wrestling school at that time, Alfred Professional Wrestling School in Ardmore, Oklahoma. And I had about, I don't know, uh, 10 students. And one of them wanted to go. I was going to Puerto Rico regularly. And in 2007, I went and took him with me. And uh, Mr. 450, he, he actually, actually he got to wrestle Mr. 450. Uh, he, goes, he goes by Mecca Wolf now. And, oh, and uh, he's in the NWA today. Yeah, and, correct. Uh, he's one, he's one half of the tag team champions, I believe. Yep, La Rebellion. Yep. yep, that's it. So he was. He had a little. I think he he, he had a few few matches with him. My student did. But anyway, mm-hmm. so at that time, yeah, Scott Hall was. Of course, I had wrestled Scott Hall in in 1989 when he was okay. Cowboy Scott Hall. This is a long time ago. I wrestled him when he was Cowboy Scott Hall. But fast forward, yeah, he was there, and I'll never forget. I now here, here I had been in the business for a while. In 2007, I walk in there, I'm sitting there in the locker room, and Scott Hall walks in. Of course, I had worked him before, so we talked a little bit, sat down. Who sits right next to me? One of my absolute idols. I mean, I, I grew up idolizing this guy. Was the great Muda? Muda comes. He was on that show with with, with Scott Hall, me, and and uh, there was another Japanese guy, but I can't think of his name. Anyway. Uh, um, uh, oh, I can't think of his name, but anyway, yeah, Scott Hall was on that show and uh, he did pretty well, as a matter of fact. You know, he was already kind of starting to have troubles, but yeah, he was sober the whole time he was there, did a wonderful job, put the uh, put the uh, baby face over. I think at the time it was Carlito before they hit it big, him and his brother Eddie right. were, were they were just about to you know make it big uh, here in the mainland, but. That was a very interesting show, man. I'll never forget. Of course, I was there for a few months, but I always loved working in Puerto Rico because even to this day, it has that old school feel. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think it's the only territory left that has that type of feel. Every now and again, I still throw on their television. You can find it on YouTube, like the recent, the modern episodes. And it's still, like you said, it's uh, kind of the old school territory that's very, still very old school. Yeah, so, yeah, very yeah. much so. Do you mind telling me about the meeting Scott Hall in 1989? And where was that? 89, I met him in Catano, Puerto Rico. We did WWC, 
back then they were called Capital Sports Promotions. Mm -hmm. And Carlos Colon and Victor Jovica, the owners, um, they used to have television tapings every Wednesday in a small rooster, a cockfighting coliseum. Probably seats, I don't know, maybe a thousand people. And uh, and he was there. He was he was he was brought in as Cowboy Scott Hall or El Gigante Vaquero, the giant cowboy. And I remember, I kid you not, I tell people this story, and and that 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 match is actually somewhere on YouTube. I remember him saying, coming up to me, saying, "Hey, kid, uh, I'm going to try this new move." This was before he went into WWF the first time. He was just coming from the AWA, I think, in the late late 80s. And then he he ended up in NWA slash and then into WCW shortly after shaving his mustache. So, yep. (laughs) He he still had the mustache, the bushy hair. Yeah. And he he grabs me and he puts me in that hole where he lifts you over his shoulder. What was it called? The uh, Razor's Edge. Razor's Edge. Yeah. I was one of the first ones to take that freaking mump, dude. It was. it was, you know, it's scary because those rings back then in Puerto Rico were stiff. They didn't have any bounce, you know. Yeah, they were like wrestling in a, like bumping in a, in a, in a boxing ring. But yeah, man, I remember he didn't say very much to me, but I don't ever, ever remember him being rude or kind of a prick. You know, some of these guys you meet them, they have this air about them. And keep in mind, 1989, I was still relatively new, so I was doing, I was kind of a jobber, a journeyman. And I was doing jobs just to give you an idea. I'd go in there on a Wednesday. We'd show up about four o'clock and wrap up about 10 or 11. And we had to we had to do four television programs out of that one night because we would only run there once once a month. Right. So you had to have four shows in the can. And uh, so I'd wrestle, you know, two, three. I don't ever. I don't think I ever wrestled more than three times, but two, three times a night, easy. Yeah, I remember those, like you know, going yeah. to tapings and back in the day, uh, especially mm-hmm. around here. You know, WWF would do the same thing. Yeah, the age before the internet and the age before the spoilers would be able to be found just an hour or two later. You know. Yeah, they were the they were the uh, the dirt sheets that would <laughs> yep. would sometimes report about stuff. But anyway, so I'd wrestle like one night. I remember I wrestled. I'll never forget this. I read. Now, of course, I don't remember the order because it was a long time ago. But in one night, I wrestled Bruiser Brody, Stan Hansen and Abdullah the Butcher on the same night, three different matches. And uh, man, I, I, I don't know how I made it out of there because Stan Hansen, I mean, the, well, Abdullah, not so much, but Hansen, particularly Hansen was very stiff. Yeah. And people have, there's this, there's this uh, urban legend that when he takes his glasses off, he can't see. I, I don't know how true that is. I think, I honestly, I think, <laughs> I think, it's, <laughs> I think it's been gimmicked up a little bit. I don't think he's yeah. that freaking blind, but anyway, the point is he was real stiff. And I think, I think he took liberties with some of the guys using, the the excuse that he was blind because he 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 about took my neck off i I thought i didn't think i was going to walk you know but anyway back to uh scott hall yeah he was he was the other way around scott hall never took liberties no i i i've heard stories about scott hall sometimes taking liberties but with me he never did he he was a a true gentleman let me asking you uh you mentioned bruiser brody working in puerto rico at the same time as you uh do you have any interesting stories about him while you were down there I'm sure you did a little bit of research on me. And if you have, then you probably have heard that I was there the night he got murdered. Oh, really? So, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. I, I was already. Now, keep in mind, I was 
just a kid. I was putting mm-hmm. up the rings, taking down the rings, going from building to building, transporting wrestlers to and from the airport. And man, I've got stories that I, I literally I could write a book and I've been offered many times to write a book. Uh, I, I've got stories that you would not believe. Like, let me give you a quick story before I go into the Bruiser, before I segue into the Bruiser Brody thing. I, I, I was told one time by the booker, who is the man who murdered Bruiser Brody. Jose Gonzalez. Uh, Jose Gonzalez. Jose Huertas Gonzalez, who, by the way, I've never had an issue with him. Mm-hmm. There, there's there's different stories as to what, you know, what happened. You know, I, I man, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's a touchy subject because some of us believe that Brody sometimes was a little bit difficult to deal with. And sometimes he took liberties with promoters. And if he didn't want to do a job or didn't want to, he simply wouldn't do it. I've heard stories. He was racist that he didn't like black people. I don't know. I I never heard him say it, but who's to say what really is true and not true. I can tell you this from, from what I heard, he used to bully the hell out of Jose and Jose just got fed up one day. That's just, you know, human nature, people get, people get pissed, pissed off. They get upset and then things escalate. Now, Jose, who was the booker at the time said, I need you to go to the airport and pick up the iron Sheik and uh, Rocky Johnson. That's the rock's dad. And I'll never forget. I remember uh, telling them, look, this is my mom's car. When I picked up, I was starstruck. I kid you not. The iron Sheik was, in, he was, he had shorts and a muscle shirt and he had his wrestling boots on with his curly horn boots. I tell them to get, I put their stuff in the, in, keep in mind, I'm 17, 18 years old, put their stuff in the trunk, get them in the car. I see Rocky Johnson has cigars in his, in his, in his pocket and he has one in his hand ready to, ready to light up. I tell those guys, don't smoke in my car. This is my mom's car. Rocky, first thing he did is lit up, lit, <laughs> light up a cigar, which by the way, thanks to him. Now I'm a cigar smoker. I love cigars. I have a walk-in humidor and everything. Anyway, uh, he, lit, he lights his cigar few minutes later, he turns around and tells Sheik, Sheiky baby, don't you light up? Because he was known for smoking weed and yeah. I've, heard, I've heard other stuff. I look back there and he's lighting up. He's filling up a pipe. He's smoking weed in my mom's car. <laughs> Needless to say, I got in trouble. Anyway, I digress. So back to the, uh, the uh, Bruiser Brody thing. So Bruiser Brody comes up to me and he goes, uh, all right, kid, it's not going to last long, yada, 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 do the job, watch the boot. Well, me being brand new, I didn't had no idea what he means by watch the boot. I literally thought he meant when he put, brings his boot up, look look at it and r- walk into it. But took my head off. Uh, but he was the type of guy that, that uh, no nonsense, all about business, all about money. If he didn't want to put you over, he wasn't going to put you over, period. He doesn't. He didn't care who the promoter was. So there I was. I remember that night, Jules Strongbow, one of my very dearest friends, Jules Strongbow. I still talk to him every month. He was there. The Young Bloods were there. Tony Atlas. Of course, keep in mind, I'm still in training. I'm still a young kid putting up rings, you know, trying to pay my dues, if you will. Right. And uh, I hear all this commotion and I'll be damned if he didn't walk out. Jose didn't walk out with his hand underneath the towel. And do you know the show still went on? Uh, everything you hear about it is true. All the other particulars, like what Tony Atlas said or did, what the, you know, what the, 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 the I try not to get into that because I was, I didn't physically see it. But to right. know that I was there that night, really, to this day, I'm shocked that that even, that I was even there, you know, that I'm able to to talk about it. I I, I think it's it's amazing. 
I didn't even know until, um, you know, they covered it on Dark Side of the Ring, the, the Vice series. And I didn't know that Tony Atlas was actually there until, you know, he was interviewed for that or he, you know, like that. So I didn't even, and I didn't actually know if any of his facts were actually true when covering on that show. Well, and that's why I say it's hard for me to have really have an opinion on it because you and I both know that uh, a lot of these guys tend to uh, stretch the truth a little, you know, and yeah. Tony Atlas is known for being a bullshit. I've known Tony Atlas for right. my entire, you know, wrestling 30, 30 plus years. I remember Tony Atlas played a prank on me. And uh, to this day, I, 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 you know, it really upsets me, but I realized that that's just, that's just the way the business was back then. They would, you know, hazing was a thing. Yeah. You can't get away with that in this day and age, but I remember Tony Atlas sat me in a locker room all by himself. It was a little tiny locker room. Uh, it was probably 10 by 10, just a little, little bitty room. And he says, because uh, he knew that I did the Indian, I wanted to do the Indian gimmick, the Native American, because I'm Native American and Hispanic. And uh, the Youngbloods were over and they were friends. And the Youngbloods, I, re I vividly remember the late Chris Youngblood, gone now. He told me, you can't do that gimmick. That's our gimmick. But yet the office had me provide them with Native American music, Native American this, Native, you know, to this day, I, I really, I don't hold a grudge, but it just really upsets me that, that uh, they did that. They didn't want me to do the indie gimmick. So they gave me a bullshit uh, gimmick called Pedro Santos. I don't know where that came from, but it's not even my name. My, my last name really is Santos, but not Pedro. Anyway, the point is that they knew every time I went there, every Wednesday on those Wednesdays for the for the television taping, they knew that, that I had this chip on my shoulder because I really wanted to do that Native American gimmick, but and they wouldn't let me do it. I had to like literally go work for the opposition in Puerto Rico when, well, I'll get to that in a second. Uh, anyway, so Tony Atlas comes in one day and he goes, "Hey, I spoke to the to the young bloods. I spoke to Mark, and at that time it was Mark and Chris because Jay had already passed away, and I and and they're going to bring you in as a third young blood." Dude, he sits me in this lot and, and I'm young. What do I know? I'm, 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 you know, 17 and a half, 18 years old. I sit in the locker room. He tells me to cross my legs Indian style and he starts putting paint on me. I guess he got it from them. He puts paint on me like this and almost ceremoniously, you know, right. puts a feather in my head, puts a bandana around me and, and tells me to say, stay sitting down and not to move leaves the room. And I'm sitting there like an idiot. I'm thinking, but again, I had enough know-how even at eight, 17 or 18 to know, okay, I'm being, I'm something's going on here. So I got up and took, rubbed the, just as I was rubbing the paint off and taking everything off, they all walk in there uh, with a little, at that time they had these little cameras. They were like, uh, they were, they were video cameras, but they, they weren't the modern stuff you see now. Okay. And uh, yeah, they were, they were, they, they thought it was funny, you know, and, and, and that I was, but so they, they didn't catch me, you know, in Fraganti, but, but they they caught me wiping it off and you know I was so embarrassed. But anyway, uh, so I know that that's just the type of person that Tony was. So Tony's been known to be full of shit. Let's just let's just put it to you that way. But I can't say if his story is true or not because I wasn't there. What what I can what I can tell you is that the story going around that 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 Tony Atlas and uh, Mark and Chris Youngblood didn't show up for the uh, for the for the for the trial. From what I understand, the uh, the uh, subpoenas were mailed late, so they got it after 
the trial had ended. That's what I heard. Yeah. Now, it, it could, could that be true? Yes. Could, you know, but it could also not be true. I'll tell you this. Puerto Rico at the time was a very corrupt country. Mm-hmm. So it's very possible that that story was true. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, I did see Tony about a year and a half ago at a at an event here. And he was, I mean, I guess he was very pleasant, uh, maybe because I was a fan there in attendance. But uh, he was a very pleasant guy that night. So selling his artwork and such. Oh, yeah. That's like that's his new thing, I guess, that shows June, uh, selling his artwork. Uh, as oh, well no, as no, 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 no. That's, that's not new at all. He's This man, I remember back then, he would sit in the locker room and draw. He's an incredible yeah. artist. Right. Maybe the fact that he's selling it and making a, making a profit out of it might be new. But, yeah, he's always been an artist. He, he, he can draw. He can flat out draw. That's for sure. Did you uh, work with Tony when uh, at the for the Savoldis when you yeah. went over there? Yeah. 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 Tony was doing the he was doing a cross between Tony Atlas, Mr. USA and Black Superman. Remember when he did the whole Black Superman thing? Yeah, I remember him in uh, World Class doing that. Uh, yeah, I don't know how long he was in there, but he would actually come in like a Superman outfit uh, at one point. Do you remember that? Yeah, he he, um, he did it for the Savoldis when they when they switched to IWCCW, right? Uh, uh, International World Class Champion Wrestling. Yeah, yeah, they combined, and uh, I actually spoke with Kevin Von Erich. So when um, he said that. Uh, you know, he sold the name for him. He came in and worked a, a one date, which I, he ended up working four matches for. And he said that he never saw a dime when he sold them that name at all. So he just, and he was actually surprised that I had so much knowledge about uh, that particular topic, you know, when, uh, when talking to me, because he was just, he said that he thought that he didn't know anybody knew about that dealing, uh, that he never saw a dime or nothing like that. But he, yeah, never saw anything just for selling them that world class name, and they ended up using it for a good five or six years before changing back to ICW and then ultimately going out of business. Yeah, that whole thing was kind of kind of left a bad taste in his mouth. I I literally just spoke to Kevin a few days ago because they're doing some type of movie uh, about about his yeah. family, and and the reason why we spoke is because he remembers that I was actually offered the role of Skandar Akbar for the movie. That's awesome. When, wow. Yeah. When the initial, so there was this lady and I can't think of her name, Lisa, it'll come to me, but she actually wrote a movie about the Von Erics and casted uh, me as Skandar Akbar. Kevin knows about it. And uh, she, she was trying to get like Liam Hemsworth to play Carrie Von Eric and Matthew McConaughey to play him, Kevin. Anyway. So the lady winds up dead in the trunk of her car in Dallas, Texas. And Kevin calls me to tell me about it. Kevin goes, you ain't going to believe this, man. She, she, it's all, all over the news. Sure enough, I researched it and I don't know what happened. If it was a drug deal gone bad, but yeah, she was, so she wrote, she wrote the script. Now I, this may be a completely different script, but the movie never got done because she obviously passed away. And now fast forward, we spoke because I'm like, well, let them know that I can still play Skandar Akbar because I was one of Skandar's very last guys that he managed before he passed away. Me and a guy named Spoiler 2000 and some other guys. So, uh, yeah, that whole thing, which is funny because then, ironically, he goes to sell the name to one of my students, the guy that owns world-class 
wrestling revolution and and, and, right. and his name is jerry bostick he's one of my students i trained him one of my pupils so he wound up selling the name to him uh of course then they parted ways i don't know i i, I don't know that i don't i thought this whole time that wwe had the rights to that name because they bought the library but i they guess bought, they never i guess they didn't buy the name i guess they bought the video library for that and the savoldi's have an incredible library of stuff that they own as well so i guess that they still own that name because they have the the what they own for the actual world class stuff is it's mind boggling because it's like really how much does WWE actually own and then the Savoldi's own like a short you know like I don't know just a a little bit of it from like the latest like the last days which is just it's very confusing because when did they go out of business was it 1990 the the Von Erichs before uh, selling to Jarrett you know. You would probably get me to lion. I don't know. Uh, yeah. I'd say 90, 91, something like that. Yeah, it might have been, yeah, somewhere around there before. And it's, uh, so I don't know what, what exactly, like, I know that they have got the, the WWE Network's got stuff is, is, uh, I know earliest, uh, from the 80s up there up until, I don't know, 88. And then I know the Savoldi's have their own streaming network as well. And they're just very slow about putting stuff up. They put up like they'll put up like five episodes of stuff, and then two months later they'll decide to upload more stuff. It's uh, they own a lot of stuff like you know the Tony Capone stuff, like the NAWA stuff, or uh, all sorts of video footage. It's crazy. So. Yeah, I remember watching everything world class related on the network WWE when it was WWE Network, and yeah, yeah, I think yeah. they go back to '83 or, or something like that. But, something like that, yeah. But yeah, which to me were. Between 83 to 87, 88, those, to me, those were the, the best years. But I, I'd like to see some of the older stuff uh, from right before they shut down. Um, they, the Savoldi's have always, have always been like that. You know, they I remember when they used to uh, put the TV, the, the product out for IWCW. Back then, people people were really enamored by it. You know, it, it had uh, – the production wasn't very much, but yeah. – they were to me. It seemed like they they were a little bit ahead of their time because they they already were talking about. I remember this them talking about pay per views before pay per view was a thing. You know, that's the one thing about Mario that I can honestly say he was always up to something. The um, I know that they took some of their older footage and did like bargain pay per views. You know what I mean? Yeah, Probably that's it. Mm -hmm. In the earlier two thousands, you know that I think they would have the guy Ryan Webster come back and. Yep. You know, do the in-between match stuff and introductions of stuff, but it was all classic matches and stuff like that because they just, they owned so much. It was just, uh, you know, and sometimes you would turn on their TV. It wouldn't be any actual IWCCW footage at all. They'd be showing South Atlantic Pro or sometimes they'd be showing some old AWA stuff, anything that they owned to fill in while they were doing TV tapings or stuff because I think that they halted tapings for a while as well. Yeah, was this before the on fire thing or after? Oh yeah, like years before that. Way many years before that. Probably up to ninety five. And I think it was probably like ninety four they ended up coming back and we're doing like brand new footage for about another year before they finally closed. And then when did on fire start? Probably earlier two thousands, I believe. Yeah. So let me ask you. Let's go back to uh talking about yourself. So uh Tell me about becoming Dancing Wolf and joining the Sioux War Party. Okay, so <clears throat> it's another one of those stories that when I tell the story, it's it. I, I sometimes I can't even believe it. 
So around, uh, let's see, this would have been 92. Okay. Yeah. So around, around 89 or 90, you know, back in them days, you still had to send in VHS tapes with two or three of your matches, pictures yeah. and blah, 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 blah. At the time, the one of the, uh, of the, uh, talent relations people for lack of a better term booker was um oh god J D uh, dylan james dylan i remember that james dylan for wwf i sent him this information and uh you know in hopes to get into the wwf because we had we had been doing so good as dancing wolf and stuff like that and few months later, I get a letter. I still have that letter to this day that, you know, thank you for sending this in, but we're not interested. It, it had the WWF logo and blah, 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 blah. A few months later, Tatanka debuted. And I was so freaking upset because I really, really thought that I could have done a better job. But anyway, so the movie Dances with Wolves comes out. Keep in mind, I had already been doing the Native American gimmick, but I had been Al Bold Eagle, younger cousin of Bobby Bold Eagle. And uh, before I had several, I used several names before the Dancing Wolf thing comes up. So one day uh, we get a call from Johnny and Johnny goes, well, I got a call from Johnny, Johnny Rods. He goes, hey, uh, we had just done a show in Torrington and they were using a guy named Chief Thunder Mountain. I don't know if you remember him. Yep. And uh, <clears throat> Savoldi wants to use you and Thunder Mountain as a tag. So you guys need to be in such and such a place. And, and, and I don't remember the actual place we went to. Uh, I, I kind of think it was somewhere in upstate New York. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was Cutcher's. It was a, a, a Jewish, um, like a resort or something. Okay. So, so we went to Cutcher's and uh, I met Thunder Mountain and we hit it off well. We did the show together. A, a few weeks later, he gets cut from the company. Something happens and they don't use him anymore. So he had a student by the name of Adolfo. Bermudez, he says, well, I'm going to send my student with you. We'll put it. We'll put a war bonnet on him. And he was so the name, of course, we didn't have the names yet. So when I told uh, Mario Savoldi uh, about this kid that was coming in, I was still using Al Bold Eagle. He sees us together, says, man, I like your look. You know, uh, the, the young bloods were, were, were big in, in world class Puerto Rico. So I said, I don't want to do the brother gimmick. He goes, no, no, it'll be just be two individuals. So he, he, uh, not him, but his cousin, Tommy, the one that used to do a referee, Tommy Fornini. Tommy Fornini says, let's call him the Sue party. That's how that whole thing came up. Let's call him the Sue. We weren't even Sue, you know, but back then you can get away with that. Now you can't now that, right. you know, miss that they call it. What do they call it? Uh, miss, uh, misappropriation or whatever you call it. So, so the movie had just come out, Dances with Wolves. It was relatively new, so I became Dancing Wolf, and they couldn't <laughs> they couldn't come up with a name for for my partner. So out of the blue, Tommy again goes, "Just call him White Cloud, like the toilet paper." Swear to God, true story, <laughs> true fucking story. Oh, I'm sorry. Can I cuss? By the way, you can absolutely. We're oh. not censored here. <laughs> so so yeah he tells like the toilet paper oh i never for i'll never forget that you know he hated that name all the way up till he got to ecw matter of fact 
we were still in IWCCW when they sent us to Puerto Rico the first time for the competition, AWF. That's okay. when I jumped ship, and and now we became the 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 uh, the, uh, the the young bloods counterpart. Anyway, so while while we were the IWCCW champions, we're in Puerto Rico. My partner tells the promoter, "It's White Wolf, not White Cloud." It was White Cloud, but he didn't want to use it. So we became Dancing Wolf and White Wolf. But my name comes from the movie Dances with Wolves. That's where that came from. Well, later on, here's the weird part. And if you go to Wikipedia, if you go to Wikipedia and you Wikipedia him, everybody thinks he's me because he made it seem like he was me, Adolfo. Uh, when he went to ECW as one of the Dudley boys, he was a Native American Dudley. Because, you know, they had a black one, a white one, a fat, a fat one, a little one, and whatever. He became Dances with Dudley. Like Dances with Wolves, you know? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So anyway, so that that's where that that's where that name came from. And then they put the titles on us on our first night there. They tell these two guys, okay, you guys are dropping to the Indians. We had those things for about a year and a half. I kid you not. Long, long, long time. I think one of the other guys that uh, worked IWCCW was uh, became a Dudley as well. He worked uh, for the Savoldis as Alexander the Great, maybe. If you do remember him, I'm yeah, trying to think of his other name. He ended up changing it, but I can't. I can't think of it. I'm sorry. I I, I can't think of it either. There were so there were so many Dudleys. But that's what people don't understand. Yeah. There was a there was a ton of them. Uh, you know, uh, I can't even think of all the other all the other Dudleys. But yeah, I, I know who you're talking about. Yeah. He was, yeah, he is a, just a big, big dude. Um, so I'm going to ask you some uh, about some of the guys that worked in uh, uh, I, for the Savoldis at that time. What do you uh, remember about working with L.A. Gore? He was kind of oh, he was very Gore. he was a regular and very well known for the Savoldis at that time period. Yeah, let me tell you the one thing I remember the most about L.A. Gore is uh, that he was such a sweetheart oh my god he was such a sweetheart i remember him just being gentle you know he, he he was one of those guys that looked like a monster but was far from it he used to tag with another guy named uh oh god i can't think of his name oh flex lavender you remember him I remember him i remember him yep yeah flex lavender and la gore and then flex later on went to go tag with one half of the uh uh oh man boy i'm i'm getting forgetful <laughs> give me a second here <laughs> the guys that went on the guys that went on to do the the rap gimmick remember ted oh. petty uh public enemy public yep. enemy yeah well public enemy but before they were public enemy ted petty used to be the cheetah kid i think yep. and then the other one was um he was uh johnny grunge he also wrestled as one of the equalizers uh zap and then yeah, was, yeah. Uh, Johnny Rotten. So Johnny uh, Rotten. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Johnny Rotten. He yeah. was Johnny Rotten. And then him and Flex Lavender wound up having a tag, uh, becoming a tag team. But yeah, back to L.A. Gore, man. L.A. Gore was such a sweetheart, man. Sometimes I wish I could find some of these guys and see where they're at, you know, just to kind of visit with them and catch up. Some of them you can find uh, through the IWCC group on Facebook. Some of those guys like yourself, you know, post in there, you know, uh, quite a bit. So I see. Yeah, them. I saw. I saw Ray Odyssey. I saw. Uh, there was a few on. There was a few people in there that that, that I remember. Yeah. Uh, tell me about the maniac Jimmy Dio. 
Oh man, Maniac Jimmy Dio. You know, he went on to promote shows. He he actually promoted shows in Pennsylvania. I don't remember the name of the company he had, but uh I remember the first show he ever ran. He had a guy named the Concrete Cowboy. Paul he goes by Paul Big Bear. And uh he's he's on Facebook. He he puts video singing videos on, on Facebook, but Jimmy Dio, yeah, I remember him. I remember him not being uh he was never a really, really good worker. Right. But he was a good talker, not so much a good talker on, in front of the, the camera, good talker behind the camera. He was Man, a staple he there. Did, yeah. He was just very, very, uh, you know, in, in a political kind of a way. Man, he knew how to he knew how to talk to promoters and get himself on shows, man. I don't know how he did it, but but what a nice guy, man. Jimmy Dio. I remember him being a nice guy and he gave me a lot of opportunities back then because I, I did several shows for him. This guy is very well known. Former ECW superstar, WWE superstar, and current Impact superstar, but the young TD Madison, now known as Tommy Dreamer. Wow. Uh, you know, we 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 came from the same school. He was uh, trained with Johnny Rods. Yep. Yeah. Oh, he was one of Johnny Rods' main, main, main men. Um, you know, here's a funny story about him. So we all came up together. In New York with Johnny Rods and IWCCW, and, and then of course he went on to to ECW. And I I wish I would have you know I wish I would have stayed with those guys because who knows how far I would have gotten if I'd have stayed with ECW. Right. You know I probably could have been you know I probably would have been in WWE and all that stuff. But but the one thing about him that I'll never forget is and you would think with as much as many roads traveled and miles traveled that he would forget a lot of these things, but. I hadn't seen him in several years, and he was still with ECW. This is before, before uh, you know, WWE got involved. Uh, they had a show at the Lakefront Arena in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And I remember I told one of my students, because I, I, I was training guys even back then. This was around, um, I want to say this was around 97, 98. Let's see. 97, 98, uh, might have been, might have, might have even been, hold on, man, I, I want, I want to make sure I don't forget any of this stuff. Anyway, it was around, it was around 97, 98, 99, 2000, something like that. I, they was, cause it was still ECW, but they were on their last leg. Mm -hmm. And I remember I went, I, I told one of my students, Brian Hart, who passed away is man, he, he self-inflicted gunshot wound. He, um, I said, come on. Let's go to the ECW show. He goes, yeah, all right, man, let's go. Got, there was somebody else with us, but I can't. I, I, I want to say it was Gil Gracie, a guy named Gil, Gil the Thrill Gracie. He uses the Gracie gimmick. Matter of fact, they they did a documentary on him, a movie uh, that came out on Netflix and Hulu, and it's called Fightville. I'm in that movie, uh, fighting, mm -hmm. working against Gil Gracie. Anyway, so we go to this show. We knock on the back door security guy comes out and i don't know why i said it but i just said it you know security guy says what do you need he goes i'm here to see tommy dreamer he knows me tell him it's dancing wolf so he goes back closes the door he goes back there and we were there was a door and then a, and then a rolling door like a garage door because we yeah. were in that ramp that goes you know where the trucks go down to unload right all of a sudden that sliding door goes up not even the door the sliding one like that and tommy's there and he goes ow Swear to God, I hadn't seen him. This was in 97, 98, 99. I hadn't seen him since 92. 
He goes, how you been, brother? He invites me to come in and blah, blah, blah. I kid you not. He said, if you ever if you ever want to want work here, let me know. I don't know why I didn't jump on that, but I didn't. My students were all star starstruck. They're like, holy shit, they really do know you. So fast forward, we have a show in 2007, uh, eight. We have a show at the uh, Heritage Hall in, in Ardmore, Oklahoma. And they booked Tommy for the show. Tommy shows up on the show. He sees my match because he was dressing in another area. And I was, I don't know why we didn't run into each other the whole, the whole time we were there. We didn't run into each other. But after my match, he makes it a point to come to me, find me when I come to the curtain. He goes, I, I can't believe you still do that fucking senton. He remembered that my move was to senton, you know. In other words, that's just the type of guy Tommy is. Tommy's, Tommy is. You know, when you talk about down to earth, and I don't know anybody else. I don't know their stories. I, I, don't, I don't care to know. I just, I'm telling you my experience. With me, Tommy's always made it a point. He's never, never, uh, you know, high-toned me or, or, or superstar me. You know, he's always been down to earth. And we always talk about the old times. But I love, I just love Tommy to death. He does have a, a good memory when it comes to his career and, and such, uh, or wrestling in general, I hear him on busted open radio or his podcast that he had. And he's got, he tells some incredible stories and some of the yeah. detail that he does remember when going into these stories is just incredible, especially at the time period that I love up until, you know, the early to mid nineties and stuff. It's, it's incredible. Yeah, he does. He has a, he, not only does he have a, not only does he have a good memory, but he's got a mind for this business. Uh, and, and, and it's not one of those kind of things, you know, how some people will say, Oh, he's got a mind for this business. He's real old school or, or he's got a mind for this business. He knows all the contemporary stuff. Tommy knows them both. Right. I mean, he literally can put together an old school match and he can put it, he could also put together a contemporary match. He, he mixes them very, very well. He's, I've always admired that minds that, that man's mind for the business. He was in the period where things were changing. He was coming from the old school, and then that new school was starting. You know, what and I mean? that's the, the and, and that's the thing that 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 I'm lucky. Just like Tommy, I'm lucky because uh, you know I tell people. It's funny you should bring that up. I tell my students that all the time. I tell them, you know, I was one of the very last lucky ones that was able to say that I, I came from the territory era, you know, but we were we we we, st we were started in this business. Me, Tommy, Taz, we started towards the tail end of the territory era. We, we were right. lucky enough to be able to say that, you know, a lot of people can't say that the territory era died soon after we broke into business. And and I remember when, I remember when I first started training guys with my cousin at, at Gleason's arena well no it started at saint mary's when when we first started training guys our two first trainees were two guys that were twins as a matter of fact it was victor and manny they go by the headhunters okay and they were they were my first two trainees that i've ever, ever trained they give johnny rods credit and that's fine but here recently i i actually caught him on video and i i put him on the spot i said manny i, I spoke to one of them i said why do you always say that johnny trains you you never mentioned me and is it because I never made it as big as you guys? And I remember him saying, no, bro, brother, I love you, Papi. Yeah, you, this guy was my first trainer. So I got him on, I got him on camera saying it. But anyway, I, I, I remember telling those guys, my very first two trainees, you better enjoy this because it's not going to be around very long. Right. 
And they're like, what? I said, this, this whole, the resting is resting as you know it. And a few years later, territories died. Vince bought everything and it turned into what it is today. For at that time period in the later eighties, it was, I don't want to say it was gone, but it was pretty much gone. You know, Vin, or, uh, excuse me, Vern was on his last legs. Like he shut down in 90 and, you know, Portland was probably one of the last territories to, to, to be able to shut down. Savoldi's last till 20, uh, uh, till 95 excuse me memphis was probably the only one that was kicking it until you know throughout the entire 90s it seems yeah that's true and there have been a few a few organizations that have tried to bring it back but man it's just it's just it's not it's not it's never going to come back and i tell people that and that's fine things evolve i remember when the late eddie farhat jr uh who wrestled as um, Captain, uh, oh God, can't think of his name. But anyway, Ed Farhead had a son named Ed Jr. who used to, who used to uh, work as well, Cap Captain, Captain something or another. But he tried to bring back big time wrestling. And uh, well, we're going to start this territory back up. And, and I feel bad because a lot of my peers, and he was kind of one of my peers, a little bit older than me, but you know, they, 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 they're just, they, they were just hanging on to the past, you know, and it's just, and I remember telling him, I said, Ed, it's not going to work, man. You know, that the territory, territory days died. Oh, now that I brought him up. So, uh, him being one of my favorite, his dad being one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. I don't know why, but I was just so enthralled, so amazed by the Sheik throwing balls of fire in people's faces and using spikes, him and Abdullah and all these guys. And how ironic that Ed, when he started, when he started, tried to start back up a territory and he wanted me to be part of it. Of course, he had heat with his own cousin. That's his real cousin. Sabu is his real yeah. cousin. And they had heat. So he brought me in and said, man, I'm going to bring you in as, and uh, I'm going to bring you in as, as, as Al Farhat. That's where Al Farhat comes from. Al Farhat, you know, I'm going to tell people you're my cousin. And sure enough, he, to the day he died, he would tell everybody that we were cousins. And which is a huge honor. Don't get me wrong. But then I felt bad trying to capitalize off it so i dropped the h and i became farat instead of farhat but anyway um, so huh captain captain ed george yeah captain right. ed george that was yeah. his name captain yeah. ed george that was eddie farhat jr but uh him and his brother jeff farhat yeah they tried to keep it going and they wanted to bring me in like the new incarnation of their dad and which i thought was pretty freaking cool considering that i grew up idolizing their dad and he knew it you know yeah i think that's the reason why he did it but and you know i got to see the original chic in puerto rico as a matter of fact and uh and i'll never forget you know i i was just i said one day i want to do that gimmick because i did the native american gimmick for many many years <clears throat> and it wasn't till it wasn't till skandar akbar uh i went to his school one year in 90 99 2000 and i had i had my goatee I had grown my goatee and he said, you know, well, and I've, I've known him for years, but he knew me as Native American, you know, working the Native American gimmick with the Savoldis. You know, Al, you ever thought about doing a, an A-Rap gimmick, you know, with the with the Persian war and stuff going on? I'm like, well, I, I think it'd be kind of risky to do it now. No, bullshit. I think it'd go over good. And so he's the first one that encouraged me to do the gimmick. And and uh, and I told me where to go buy the boots. I bought the boots from the same maker that makes them for the iron chic that made boots for rick flair for booker t uh, uh, uh 
Oh, man. What is his name? Clifford. Clifford Macias in Houston, Texas. I drove all the way down there just to just to make get boots made. So I I mean, I, I went all out. I bought the turban. I studied the language. Then when when I met Eddie Jr., Eddie's the one that gave me the name Al Farhat. So I've been doing the, the Arab gimmick ever since. Before I move along with further questions, now that we're talking the Sheik, I want to uh, ask you: Have you um, picked up the copy of the book on the Sheik that Brian by Brian Solomon? It came out, I think, within the last year. No, I haven't, and I didn't even know about it till now. Now that yeah. you mentioned it, I'm probably going to search high and low for it. Um, I will send you a link to it uh, and send Please. you the yeah, and then so that you you know that you know what it is. I, I'm sure it's available on Amazon or whatever. It's called Blood and Fire. Uh, Brian Solomon worked for WWE, I think WWE Magazine back in the day. I think he does a, a podcast now called Shut Up and Wrestle. That's a very interesting podcast. Uh, really, and he does the podcast for Pro Wrestling Illustrated currently as well. So well, I'll yeah. be damned. Yeah, please do. Yeah. Uh, I, I probably can buy it as an ebook, so yes. I'll definitely, I'll definitely uh, take a look at it. I appreciate that information. Yeah. Um. One other question about the guys out of that area, and then we're gonna move along. So absolutely. Tell me about Gino Caruso. Oh, what a nice guy, Gino. I, yeah. I, I worked, uh, I worked against Gino so many times. Me and my partner did a series of matches. Matter of fact, Gino runs started running shows as well uh, years ago and still does EC, i think yeah. ECPW. ECPW. yeah yep. that's it gino um we started having a series of matches me and me and white wolf or white cloud it would be versus gino caruso and a guy named the kodiak bear i remember him remember him yeah uh and, and i worked a lot of singles matches against gino Gino was another one of those guys where man, just the salt of the earth. You would talk to him. He wasn't very loud spoken and he's Italian, you know, but he's, yeah. he, he's, he wasn't very, very braggadocious. It's just, just a down earth guy, man. Just a yeah. really, really, you know how you meet guys that most of these guys in the business, they're full of shit, you know? And, and on top of that, they're, they're just not pleasant to be around. Most of the guys, if not every single one you've mentioned so far have been very, very, Pleasant to be around. Uh, some were a little standoffish, like Phil, uh, uh, Damien Demento, Mondo Clean. He was a little, uh, of course, Bubba Ray Dudley. Um, he he was sometimes a little little bit hard to be around because he can be very boisterous and very loud. I've heard, yeah, I heard. Uh, yeah, I yeah, heard he that did. sometimes he could not necessarily be so friendly in front of, uh, you know. Uh, with fans, but I've also heard sometimes the complete opposite. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if he's bipolar or what, but here's the interesting story before he broke it, before he broke into the business, you know, very, you know, before he shot up to stardom, he used to wrestle as uh, Mondo vile yep, or, or it was, or it was Mongo with a G something like that. Mongo vile. One of his very first, one of the very first people that trained with him, in the ring was me when we when we were working for Johnny Rods. I remember having a series of matches just in the gym, practice matches, and I always thought he was amazing, really, really good guy. But but he's now with me. He's always been very pleasant. But he tried to he tried to kind of uh, he tried to kind of uh, uh, superstar me one time at a show not too long ago. We had a show in front of like three thousand people at the Fire Lake Arena in Oklahoma City. 
And I was trying to bring up a bunch of stuff that I knew he must have remembered, you know, and he was like, oh, OK, you know, that kind of a deal. But I don't know, maybe he really genuinely didn't remember. But there was guys I remember there was guys like him, guys like uh, uh, Big Vito. Remember Big Vito? Yes. Who wore the dress? Well, he was skull on crust back then. Yep. But, but 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 again, and and I rode with him. To different shows and my hero rather he rode with me in my car to very many shows skull von crested these type of guys and it, i don't think it it to me it wasn't that they were dicks or that they were difficult or obnoxious i'll be honest i think it's a cultural thing most italians i know because i'm half puerto rican and we're the same way most of us are just very loud we're just yes. very loud and we we talk loud we talk with our hands we're from new york over here this is how we talk you know what i mean so I remember that that they rubbed <laughs> Big Vito and and Bubba Ray. They they rubbed people the wrong way, you know. Because but but if you knew them or you were from where they were from, like you and I, you knew that's just the way they were. Right. You know. I grew up like that in school. You know. I I grew up that's that's how we were. We were loud. You know. All right. So I want to talk to you about uh, let's see, September fourteenth, nineteen ninety three. You took on. Someone that I consider a legend in the world of professional wrestling, and uh, you know, Playboy Buddy Rose. Wow! Holy smokes! Jeez, you're going way back, Buddy Rose. <laughs> let me tell you something about Buddy. He wasn't. He wasn't the best looking in the ring, right. obviously. But the thing about Buddy Rose that always struck me as incredible incredibly smart was that he took he took he took his his let's see how could i say this he knew how to talk to promoters so that they would book him on his strengths which was the fact that he was overweight you know so they would purposely say he was weighing in at 271 that's 217 pounds remember that yes <laughs> I mean, but the but but the thing about it is, it was such a pleasure to work him because he, he you had so much fun working him. Most of the times, you were trying to prevent from laughing when you were in the ring with him. There were several people that they had that ability to just you had fun with them inside the ring. Now there were some people that didn't like Buddy Rose, you know, uh, especially there towards the end. You know, I don't know about the substance abuse and the drinking because I was never around it. I don't know if that was true or not, but. I think what his ultimate demise was his weight. I think he seemed to get heavier as time went on. Yeah, kind of like Adrian, no. kind of like Adrian Adonis. He had a lot. He reminded me a lot of Adrian Adonis. Adrian Adonis was a hell of a worker. The problem was his weight got out of hand. Now the difference between Adrian Adonis and Buddy Rose on a in the ring was that Adrian took liberties with guys. Adrian was, you know, kind of a prick in the ring. You know, he was un he could he if he wanted to. Or if he was in a bad mood, he took it out on you. Buddy never did that. I thought always thought that Buddy was kind of a smooth, kind of smooth in the ring. Like I've oh, seen yeah. him in great, great matches. You know, whether he was a preliminary guy in WWF or working the AWA or Portland or wherever. You know, I always thought he was very good in the ring. Well, he he actually in AWA he he had a tag team partner named Doug Summers. Yep. And I I, I thought. I'll be honest with you, man. I thought they were an amazing tag team. And I, I honestly, I don't know why they weren't booked as a tag more like in WWF at the time, you know, and pushed. 
Yeah, I mean, they were the tag team champions. They had an incredible match with, uh, you know, Shawn Michaels and Marty Jannetty uh, for the tag titles. So I, I just but, but but they both but they both came into WWF as as and as as jobbers. Yep. Yeah. Just a month later, you took on Lanny Poffo in Tampa, Florida. What are your memories of this? Lanny Poffo. I actually worked Lanny Poffo twice. Okay. Um, I don't think he was doing the... Uh, Prior is probably the genius McGimmick, maybe. Yeah, I don't, I, don't remember, I don't remember if he was the genius or not. Uh, he might have been. I don't know. But Lanny, what I can tell you about Lanny is Lanny was a really, really, really good worker, technical worker. He mm-hmm. could work. He could work circles around a lot of people. The problem was that, I, the, in my opinion, I think the reason why he never got a push was because the office wasn't a big. Let, let, let me. I want. I want to be real careful when I say this because I don't want to sound. Because in this day and age, it doesn't matter whether you're gay, straight, black, white, atheist, a Trumpster, non-Trumpster. It doesn't matter. You know, you treat everybody the same. But right. in my opinion, in my opinion. They 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 treated him kind of shitty and purposely didn't really push him too much because I I thought that the I thought personally the office thought that maybe he was a little too effeminate you know right uh, I see what you're saying there you know yeah. what I mean it, it like they didn't respect him and and to me he wasn't to me he was just you know just a classy dude you know uh, if that's the case what, what about Mil Mascaris Mil Mascaris was when he walked when he pranced around the ring he had a you know. He had he was a little light in the moccasins, but nobody ever said anything about him. And to me, that should have never been an issue. You know, uh, wrestlers back in those days. And I'm not saying that Mil Mascaris and Lanny Poffo are gay. Not at all, because I don't know that. But there were wrestlers that back in the day, like Pat Patterson, that they had to hide it. But, you know, that was that was that was those were the times. You know, I can tell you this. If Lanny Poffo was around now and he was still in his youth now, he'd be over. He'd be, yep. he'd be a top. He'd be one of the top guys for for sure. I always thought that he was a tremendous worker. You didn't get to experience that unless you were like at a house show necessarily, because on television he was always squashed. It seemed, and he'd probably get two, three moves in, and then bam, that was it. You know what I mean? Yeah, same thing. Like, same like, thing. He, he he was he was always squashed. He wasn't used very well. Right. So I always thought that, and 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 but they did, and and at that time period, and some of the job guys did have gimmicks. Like they made merchandise for him, the Frisbees, or they had, uh, he wrote a poetry book. Then, you know, I just thought it was interesting. Well, he's kind of in a, he's kind of in a weird, he's kind of in a weird spot because I wouldn't necessarily consider him a jobber. Right. As much as he was maybe a mid Carter. Mm -hmm. Uh, Jobbers to me were, were, you know, Frank Williams. That's a jobber. Um, I hate to say it, but even Johnny Rods, to me, Johnny Rods was not a jobber anywhere else, but in WWE F he was a jobber mm-hmm. and he shouldn't have been, uh, Jose Estrada, one of the greatest workers I've ever known. Jose, amazing. Is, yeah, uh, Jose is absolutely amazing. Yeah. He was never, he was never given the respect that he was deserved. You know, they, they use these guys as, as enhancement, uh, What's the guy that used to pat himself on the uh, Barry Horowitz? Barry Horowitz. I interviewed him two years ago. He's one of my probably my first guest. If if really, uh, yeah. And I got to say that he called me on the phone probably a month before just to 
get a feel for me. And then we ended up having this, as soon as I mentioned the New Haven Coliseum in New Haven, Connecticut, all bets are off. Like this guy just went on talking and talking and talking and, you know, and sharing some great memories about uh, the New Haven Coliseum and going and wrestling there. So it was, it was pretty awesome. You ended up doing an interview the, the uh, you know, right after Christmas that two years ago, probably I had a great time. Like this is the conversation was just awesome with that guy. Oh, I, I, I'd like to, I'd like to check that out, but you know, to me, those guys that I just mentioned, I guess would be considered jobbers. Whereas Manny Poffel was eh, probably at an upper tier, you know, a little bit, a little bit above those guys, but still not where he deserved to be far from where he needed to be. You know, you took part. Was it uh, in zero one in Japan in Tokyo, Japan? No, I never did work for Zero One. No, no, no. That that might have been uh, my tag team partner. Um, I did go for a company. I can't remember the name of the company right now. And then a few months later, I was offered to go for Wings. I don't know if you remember Wings. I remember Wings. Yep. My my uh, my the first guys that I ever trained, they were huge in for Wing because of one of the promoters was a guy named Victor Quinones. Okay. Who, uh, who absolutely, he was instrumental in the very beginning of my career. But the reason why I didn't go to Japan at the time is the same reason why I didn't go to WWF. The same reason why I didn't go to ECW is because at the time I was, I started dabbling into music. I don't know if you know this, but I've got 11 albums on the market. Yes. And my last, my last three albums were nominated for the Grammy Awards and music is my bread and butter. Uh, it's, it's. You know, this 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 four bedroom house, two car garage, two bathrooms, four acres of land is all because of my music, you know, and I've been in movies. I I just got done. I don't know if I'm even allowed to say this because it's not going to come out till 2023, but I guess I could. We just got done wrapping up a, a, a movie for Disney, Marvel Disney, the new Marvel movie Echo. I'm in it. Uh, me and okay. my band, me and my band are playing in 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 a huge scene. And they used my band T-shirts because I got T-shirts for my band. And they sent me a letter. Deidre, Deidre Black sends me a letter. Says, hey, can we use your band T-shirts on some of the extras and some of the actors? They're going to wear it on screen. I was like, holy shit. Plus, I, I, that, we did that in Atlanta, Georgia. And then we just filmed a movie called Fancy Dancer for Erica Tremblay. She's the producer of a very hot show called Reservation Dogs. that's on Hulu. So... You know, that was that's always been my first love. You know, I'm not ashamed to say it. I I, and what I think what happened was I, I've always I've always had a I've always been a musician since I was young. I come, I come from a family of musicians. So when I didn't when when I got that letter back from James Dillon and then the Tonka, I, I focused all my uh, my my str- uh, my energy on music. Thankfully, I did, because, again, 11 albums later, I'm, you know, I'm doing all this stuff. But when I decided to get back into wrestling, because I, I figured I still had enough enough gas in the tank, that's kind of when I started doing the Alpha Rock thing around 99, 2000. Um, I got to wrestle a lot of some of my best matches were when I started as Alpha Rock. Hell, I'm in three halls of fame now. The there's an act there's the actual National Hall of Fame that used to be in Wichita Falls. Now it's moving to to Oklahoma. To, uh, yeah, uh, McAllister, Oklahoma. I don't know what happened, but something something about misappropriation of funds. But you know, 
they inducted me there. They have my boots in there. Who'd ever thought I'd have my stuff in the museum, you know? That's amazing. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. And then the NWA Amarillo Hall of Fame, I'm in that one. I'm in another one out in the East Coast. You know, it's it's crazy how things happen. And people, when they when they meet, when they see, when they run into me again, wrestlers, they're like, oh, shit, you've been doing all that, movies? And, and no wonder we haven't seen. That's the reason why. I just, I kind of put wrestling on the back burner, but now it seems to be a thing that guys my age making comebacks like PCO and <laughs> the rock. He's been killing it. He's been killing he, it, dude. He's been he killing has. It. Yeah. All, all these guys that are that are our age and older now seem to be fucking over now, which it seems to be like a thing now. And so I'm taking full advantage of it. I'm taking bookings all over the place and, and trying to get my foot back in the door. And who knows? Who knows where it'll take me? If you ever end up back in Connecticut, you got to let me know. Like seriously, because oh, or, sure. or you know, around the area. If you don't mind, if we got a little time, I've got a little bit of time left. So I've uh, got all the I, time in the world. Yeah, uh, I'll just ask you a couple more questions about some uh, some guys that you met that uh, okay. some legends that I, that I've read about. Uh, how about Hacksaw Jim Duggan? Oh man, me. Let me tell you, I've wrestled Hacksaw Jim Duggan so many times that if someone so if someone were to ask me, could you wrestle one more time? I'd say absolutely not. I'm so tired of working him, but he's one of my dearest friends. He, uh, I kid you not, I lost count. The first show I ever did with him was in Lawton, Oklahoma, in front of, uh, I don't know, 3,500 people, and 2,000 of them were soldiers. It was right on the Fort Sill Army base. He comes up to me, and he goes, Al, I know you don't know me, but let's knock it out of the park, brother. I said, okay, uh, you're going to come out and interrupt the national anthem. <laughs> on Fort Hill Army Base, you want me to interrupt the national anthem? I had I had just started doing the Alperoff. This was like 2000 or 2001. Anyway, here it is. I kid you not. I'm not. You, I know you're probably going to think I'm exaggerating, but I swear I've, I've I've wrestled them way over 20 times. Maybe not 30, but close to it. I guarantee you. And it's always the same match every single. I can do the match with my eyes closed. He's a hell of a guy. I met him. A couple different times and we've spoken on social media a few times as well uh just genuinely very very nice guy well um, i'll tell you this about him he's always been real good to me he always he's actually got me work he's actually called and said hey i told this promoter i wanted them to fly you in because because I'm, I'm really easy to work work with and we do the same match over and over but i will tell you this about a hacksaw one thing that pissed me off about him is I was working for a company in Arkansas called Traditional Championship Wrestling. Matt Riviera was the owner. And he said, and, and and Matt loved me. I was like his number one heel. He had Ken Resnick, you know, the former announcer for WWF, yep. who, who's a dear friend of mine. We talk every week. He had Ken Resnick. Nelson, Nelson Swegler was was on the, on the, on the he, he used to write for WWF. They all had me in a super angle and they, they wanted me to, for the first time ever, I had already wrestled Hacksaw about 20 times. They said, Hacksaw, Al's going to take the two-by-four from you and hit you with it. We're going to turn it into an angle. Hacksaw said no. For the first time, if we've wrestled if we've wrestled 29 times, I've put him over 29 times. They wanted him to put me over one time, and he didn't do it. That's one negative I have about Hacksaw. And I actually told him in the locker room because he wound up having to do it because they told him either do it or we're, or we're sending you home without pay. And so he did it begrudgingly. He did it. But I remember going to the back and telling him, man, that's kind of, that's kind of bullshit. Hacksaw, the one time they want to, well, nobody's ever touched my two by four. I said, Hacksaw, it's a fucking gimmick. It's a work. It's a show. It's yeah. fake. 
It's fake, dude. Oh, well, you know, Al, I guess you're right. You know, I'm sorry about that. But, boy, that really didn't sit well with me. But anyway. He must have been in a bad mood. He must have been. <laughs> a, that's what I say. He must have been in because he's a nice guy. He's the nicest guy yeah. in the world. But then again, remember, he had cancer. And around that's that true. time, around that time, he had just gone into remission. And he had the, the effects of the medicine, I guess. I don't know. Who knows? Yeah. Tell me about the, uh, the honky-tonk man. I worked him several times. Honky is one of those guys where. He's he, he he reminds me a lot of Jim Cornette in that they just like to run their mouths, you know. <laughs> Jim, I'm a I'm a corny uh, fan, so <laughs> no, me too. No, I, I love Jim Cornette. I love yeah. Jim. I get him, and and yeah. I and I and let me tell you, he's pissed off a lot of people, but yes. that's just Jim, you know. J J really, in a, in 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 a fist fight, he probably couldn't he probably couldn't beat up a four year old, but. That's just Jim. Jim's very loud like that, especially, you know, behind the keyboard and behind the camera. You know, if he if, if he's face to face, he'll probably lose his temper, but quickly get shot, shot down. But but uh, Honky reminds me a lot of him in a sense that Honky likes to talk a lot of shit sometimes. And sometimes it's not substantiated. It's not you know, he can't back it. But I've worked him several times. I'll tell you one thing. One of the easiest guys I've ever worked. Honky is super, super, super uh easy to work with in the ring what about uh the king jerry lawler oh man jerry i've worked him about probably about five six times yeah tag one-on-one -on -one, always great matches the one thing about he doesn't he's, he's not really he doesn't care if he puts you over he doesn't get he doesn't give a shit but the one thing about jerry that i will say is Jerry can sometimes be a little bit, uh, how could I say that, out of touch with reality. Sometimes he can, he, he'll he say things, and, and I guess he still thinks he's the king. The king from back in the day, I guess. I yeah. don't know. Like, for example, I did a show with him in Fort Smith. It was the first time I ever worked him, and I've worked him since then six, eight times. And I remember that I, uh, course I, I i weigh 238 now but back then i was weighing i was 320 pounds I was, at my, I was at my heaviest i remember i walked in there and matt riviera who was the promoter no no, no i'm sorry it was bill ash bill ash was a pro who, who passed away recently bill ash said okay jerry you're gonna work al the sheep blah 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 i walk in there first thing out of jerry's mouth it doesn't even shake my fucking hand the first thing out of his mouth is he looks at me looks at bill and goes i thought you said he wasn't fat just like that. Swear to God. Wow. So, but he's the kind of guy that if you, if you don't, if, if you give it right back to him, he backs off. If he knows he can walk all over you, he will. Jerry will. So I looked at him. I said, fuck, does it matter whether I'm fat, fat or not? I don't have to do much. You ever heard of Abby? Of course, I, that's just the first thing that came out of my mouth. Then we started having the match. But after I got back, when we got back from our match, he actually said, man, you are absolutely amazing you your timing is right you fed into the camera i bring him into the camera you know and, uh, I, I, wherever the camera was at the hard camera the roaming camera there i was so we never became friends unlike me and barbarian me and barbarian are really 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 close uh but that's just jerry i, I don't think jerry has any friends <laughs> i'm gonna ask you about uh tim storm tim storm is a is another very dear friend of mine um, we, uh, when I first 
moved to the Oklahoma, Texas area. I did a lot of shows with Tim Storm. Mm-hmm. He still had the old look, the long mullet with the with the you know handlebar mustache. I remember him for was it traditional championship wrestling? I think he wrestled for. Do you remember that group? Yeah, that's the one I wrestled for, traditional okay. TCW. That, yep. That's Matt Riviera's group I was telling you about. We used to get the TV up here, but it was on at like 4 or 5 in the morning. And when I had my first kid, I'd wake up and it was on. So, yeah. you know, waking up to feed the baby in the middle of the night, uh, I would oh, watch yeah. it. So, I, yeah. I have been on tons of those TCW television shows. Well, he had already transitioned into his new gimmick. At TCW, he already had the new look. I remember right. I was one of the first. I was. I remember I was one of the first ones that told him. I said, "I said I like that look. It it suits you better." A lot. Of, a lot of people don't know this about Tim Storm, but he's he's like fifty six years old. He's he's, yep. he's up there, but yep. he looks good. And they put the NWA title on him uh, mm-hmm. at one time. He held it. He held it for a while. And uh, yep, was it twenty eighteen? He lost it twenty seventeen around that time period. And. For a man his age, he's still on NWA TV, you know, doing commentary, and he'll have the occasional match, but he still looks great at his age. Well, the thing about Tim is, Tim is not the best worker in the world. He's average. The thing about Tim that separates him from, from everybody else is that when you meet Tim, you quickly realize that he's an, an absolutely super guy. I mean, he has a really, really good attitude, good dude. Uh, he knows how to play the politics. Don't get me wrong. He knows how to play the politics, but he's just, he's just, he's a nice guy. And, yeah. and he's the kind of guy that he reminds me a lot of Tommy dreamer. He's just pleasant to be around. You know, he doesn't have a bad thing to say about people. Even when you try to t- get him to talk bad about somebody, he'll go, he'll do one of them deals. You know, that's just how he is. He's a really, really, really nice guy. And, and I remember telling him many times, cause I've, I've rode in cars with Tim dozens of times and i remember telling him tim you and i have that in common it's we're not the best workers but we know how to treat people right we're just good people you know you treat good you treat people right you know they're going to want to do for you and that's the type of person he is people will book him just because oh man that's 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 my buddy tim you know good guy really good guy what about let's see barrett brown barrett brown i i i wrestled him when he was before he was uh americos and before he was who he is now, Barrett Brown is a really, really good hand. Uh, probably one of the most humble young men you'll ever meet. I mean, you talk about a guy that loves his parents, uh, loves people in general. He's just a really, really kind guy. He's the type of guy that if if I had a million dollars and I wanted to buy a wrestling company, of course, that probably would be the dumbest thing I ever did, but let's just say I, I, I bought a wrestling company. He'd be one of the people I'd automatically have on my roster. Barrett Brown is an absolute salt of the earth kind of a guy. I just absolutely love Barrett Brown. I don't have anything bad to say about him. And I don't, I don't know anybody that does. There's, right. I guarantee you, I could find people to talk bad about Tim Storm before you'll find anybody to talk bad about Barrett. That's how good of a kid he is. Wow. Tell me about uh, Soul Train Jones. Oh, man. I don't remember very much about Soul Train. I had a match with him, I believe, for TCW. Mm -hmm. We were in, uh, I want to say, Little Rock. It it wasn't a bad match. As a matter of fact, I remember thinking, because everybody everybody told me, careful, you know, he's a good guy, but, you know, he's kind of clumsy, blah, blah, blah. I brought out the best in that guy. 
you know, I did the best that I can. And we had an incredibly good match. And it was for TCW. It's it's, it's somewhere online. Uh, I, I think a bunch of their TV is up there on YouTube. Somewhere. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but I don't know very much about them. I got two more and then, you know, we'll wrap it up in a little Absolutely, bit. Absolutely, uh, yeah. Uh, Jake Roberts. Jake Roberts, I worked him two or three times. Uh, I worked him in front of 4,000 people at the Fire Lake. I remember one-on-one. -on -one. And then we had a tag match a few months later. Jake, you know, you've heard the stories. Uh, of course. I, I don't have to tell you. You're well-documented in, in, in movies and such. Yep. So, yeah. The only thing I can tell you about Jake is I don't know him enough on a personal level. What I do know is he used to book for a company called Texoma Champions. Texoma Pro Wrestling in, Sh in Sherman, Texas, and completely screwed over the company. And and but but he was he was you know heavily on drugs and alcohol. I don't have anything negative to say because I never had any negative experiences with him. But I can tell you that he wasn't too happy with me uh, the last time we had a match because he really really made me look good, like really really good. And uh, he put me over. I couldn't believe it. And he put me over and I forget what we were doing. And the promoter wanted this. The promoter said, after you, after your match, I want you to grab the mic and talk about you wanting to face another legend uh, and then call out Hacksaw. You mean you want me to work Hacksaw for the 31st time? Fine. So. I grabbed it. I grabbed the mic. And I remember that when I started cutting my promo, Jake was halfway down the the back of the locker room. He kind of turned around and went like this, like, what the fuck, you know? So I went to the back. I, I don't think he was made privy. So I get to the back. He starts getting in my face. Of course, and I'm not the type to back, to back down. So I immediately let him know. I put my hand out on his chest. I said, back the fuck up. You can say what you're going to say, but back the fuck up, you know? He was like, man, had I fucking known you were going to use me to fucking put Hacksaw over, I wouldn't have fucking done it. You know, I, I would have, shit, I would have told the promoter to put me over. I said, why are you yelling at me? I'm just doing my fucking job. I'm following the script. Yeah, he wasn't too happy. I haven't seen him since, but that's my Jake story. <laughs> All right, last one. And uh, what about Chaz Taylor? Chaz Taylor. Wow. Boy, that's kind of random. Uh, I remember him well. Uh, watching him, uh, was he? He worked for Global, I, I yeah, for Global and, yeah. and for USWA for a little bit, but Global, yep. Yep. Chaz Taylor and me, we're friends. Uh, I don't know that he has a whole lot of people that can say that about him. I personally like Chaz, I like him. Mm -hmm. He's always been good to me. Him and his dad, Tugboat, the original Tugboat. tugboat. Yeah. His I dad was him. the original Tugboat Taylor. Uh, Chaz has always been good to me, man. Chaz has always been my bro, you know. Uh, yeah, he he can he can rub people the wrong way, but that's just Chaz. Chaz is just always, you know, he's always looking. He's always looking for for to put himself over, and that, and you know what? That's wrestling. We all do it. We all put ourselves over, you know, or try to anyway. But no, Chaz is a good guy. Chaz, um, I think that um, a lot of promoters that have wanted to use Chaz have probably used him for some reason, never used him again. Maybe it's, you know, people would say, well, he, he comes off the wrong way. Like he tries to, you know, shove himself down your throat. Well, I mean, we all do that. 
All of us do that. You know, I can tell you that, you know, uh, he was there on time. He was he was a good hand. You know, uh, I don't have anything negative to say about jazz. That's good. good All day. right. So tell why don't you before we wrap it up on uh, we got into your music career a little bit. Why don't you uh, reiterate about that and tell us what you're up to these days? Uh, you're part of a group. Yeah, well, I, I'm I'm the I'm I'm a singer for a group called Otter Trail. Otter like the animal, O T T E R Trail like in trail mix. Otter Trail. It's a Native American singing group. We have eleven albums on the market. The last three were nominated for the Grammy Awards uh, and NAMA N A M A. And um, as a single vocalist, I've also been featured on the major motion picture soundtrack for Mission Impossible, the first one with Tom Cruise. I've, man, I've worked with Paul Winter Consort. Uh, I've been a musician and a singer for a very long time. And we travel all over. I don't, when I say we travel hard, you can follow my Facebook page and my personal one and my Otter Trail one and see that we're somewhere every single weekend. It doesn't slow down till December. Then it picks right back up the end of February when we go to Florida for three, for a month and a half. Um, we're going to Mohegan Sun next year. Uh, that's in Connecticut. That's okay. Let, like I said, let me know. I live an hour away from there. Oh yeah. My, my wife loves to go to the casino. We go up there for concerts all the time. Uh, you know, give me the information, send it over. And well, then, I'll uh, tell you what, I'll tell you what I'm letting you know right now. <clears throat> they contracted us for October. I think it's the 18th and 19th for Mohegan Sun for the Mohegan Tribal Powwow and Native American Festival. I'll let you know early because I want to see you there. We're also Absolutely. going to the peak. We're also going to the Pequot one. Uh, we're going to be. We travel all over. From uh, when I say I've been around the world eight times, I've been around the world eight times. And I here's a funny thing: I've been around the world eight times doing music, not wrestling. I've only as a wrestler, I've traveled a few countries, Guatemala. I've been here and there, but. Honestly, uh, music is my first love, and you can catch it on www.facebook.com forward slash Otter Trail, all one word, O-T-T-E-R-T-R-A-I-L. Um, you can check us out there. We're also on Instagram, same thing. You can also catch, you can also check out Alpharat's doings on www.facebook.com forward slash uh, the Arab legend Alpharat. Uh, I've got some business ventures that I'm doing, uh, um, just a bunch of stuff. I'll be in Nashville, Tennessee this weekend. I'll be in Floresville, Texas the following weekend. Then we head to Salt Lake City, Utah. And uh, man, our, our calendar, you can find my music calendar on my Facebook page, the, the Auditor one, and my wrestling calendar on my wrestling page. But most of all, the thing that I'm most uh, excited about is the movie. Man, brother, that movie, I'll have a I'll be in a major motion picture movie in 2023 and Marvel Disney's Echo, E-C-H-O. It's about the first ever female Native American superhero. So you got to check it out. I'm part of the Marvel Universe. It's huge. I can't even begin to tell you. We have T-shirts, CDs. I have an Alpharat doll. I have Alpharat T-shirts. I've got a bunch of merchandise on both those sites. But most of all. It was absolutely an honor and a pleasure. And I'm tickled pink that we got to catch up with all of the old wrestling stuff. I'm happy that you came on here. I want to thank you so much. We're going to have to oh. definitely do this again at some point. Uh, Are you kidding, road. man? I'm available anytime, man. You just give me a holler. And, and don't forget, I want to see you in Connecticut, dude. I, 
like I said, my wife is a frequent uh, uh, casino goer, so we usually go up there for concerts. She likes to gamble, so we're definitely going to head up there when you're up there. Well, your wife and my wife are going to get along because while I'm out there busting my ass singing, guess where she's at? <laughs> there you go. Pulling the slots. All right, man. Thank you so much. Thank you, brother. Take care. God bless.